You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report, presented by Kent Hunter. Welcome to this audio version of the Church Doctor Report, volume 14, number 5. If you're a sports fan, and if you're a Jesus fan, oh, you're going to love this topic. Our subject for today is Your Faith, Your Church, Playing to Win or Not to Lose. I just love this subject. Let's get started here. Are you a football fan? If not, hey, stay with me for a true parable about playing not to lose. And as you do, I want you to think about your church. That's really what this is all about. We were in a hotel near Indianapolis. Deal the card, said my brother-in-law, Denny. We were there in August at our annual guy excursion to spend two days at the Indianapolis Colts training camp. Joining us this year was Denny's son, David, and my son-in-law, Jason. As we began to talk, it was Jason who shared an interesting story he had found written by Warren Sharp. It was called The Unbelievable Story of the 2017 Colts. Right away, David said, I don't even want to know if I have to listen to that. That was an awful year. <laughs> we all nodded in agreement, and uh, mainly because, well, the quarterback, Andrew Luck, was out for the season with an injury. And the Colts finished as the third worst team in the league, only winning four games. It was miserable. But Jason persisted. Hey, listen, according to this article, the 2017 Colts were the only team in the last 27 years to lose seven games, which they led at halftime. <laughs> that got my attention. I said, yeah, I remember that well. Jason continued, hey, this article says the Colts in 2017 are the only team in the last 20 years to hold a lead entering the fourth quarter in nine games, but to win no more than four games. Yeah, I remembered watching those games. Uh it was miserable uh, last in 2017. It was a disaster. In fact, I remember what I said several times as I watched them blow yet another game in the fourth quarter. I remember saying to my wife, you know what? They're not playing to win. They're playing not to lose. Too conservative. Jason continued. Yeah, this guy, Warren Sharp, says... The only teams to enter the fourth quarter with a lead more often than the Colts through week 12 were the teams that faced each other in the Super Bowl, the Eagles and the Patriots. Wow, that made me think a little bit about the church. Think about your church. And think about what Jesus said about winning the world. For him. So, how is it at your church? Are you a team that is ready to win 
the world for Jesus? Or are you so cautious that you act like you're operating by the disastrous approach not to lose? Consider these common scenarios. I've seen them many times as we consult churches. Think about this. The church that won't add desperately needed staff until the budget cash flow absolutely equals the cost of the position. Or think about this one. The congregation that spends a million dollars renovating an old, tired, worn-out building in a, a, a decrepit neighborhood with little parking because of the sentimental love that the old money people have for the stained glass windows. Or think about this one. The pastor who responds to the question raised by another pastor asking, how's it going at your church? And the pastor replies, oh, we're doing really well. We haven't hardly lost anybody this year. We're running about the same amount in worship as we did last year. Oh, God is good. <laughs> or what about this one? The naive newcomer to church asked the pastor why they used Old English words like thee or thy. And the pastor says, well, the people would never go for the change. Or what about this one? The board discussion gets heated. Look, I'm sorry, but if we put a screen in the worship area, I'm sure we're going to lose some of our long-term members. Now think about this. I've consulted several churches where the pastor or the leaders talk about how the church is so fiscally responsible. And this is the truth. I know it sounds strange, but believe it or not, this is what I've heard. They go on to say about their fiscal responsibility. They say, oh, yeah, we have 12 months of operating budget set aside in the bank in case of an emergency. I'm not kidding you. Every time I hear that, I think to myself, I hope that emergency isn't the return of Jesus because I'm pretty sure he would ask why the money wasn't spent on reaching the lost. And he would add, now it's too late for them. It wouldn't be out of character for Jesus to ask and add to that, what were you thinking? If we're supposed to win the world for Christ, we need to act like winners. Perhaps the first step toward winning should be don't beat yourself. Let's talk about the scarcity posture. Having interviewed hundreds of Christians during the last 35 years, it's clear to me that many are infected with a loser mentality. Pastors preach that we should reach people for Jesus Christ, but deep down, most Christians believe the lie that unbelievers are not interested in spiritual stuff. So many church leaders are convinced that the church, even the faith, is not on people's radar in our secular society. So many Christians have subconsciously developed a loser mentality, a marginalized mentality. They say, people just don't care about religion these days. <laughs> However, that's a lie. It is the enemy who is a liar. Much of the media doesn't help. The church is often marginalized as if nobody cares about spirituality. So Christians focus on hanging on to what we've got. <laughs> we play not to lose, not to lose anymore. And so we get so super conservative, 
we set our own destiny. Sometimes we dig in and get dogmatic about the style. We cling to ancient ritualistic expressions of the faith. Some clergy even dress in 16th century garb using old English forms. It's a natural reaction, but it's playing not to lose. It's hanging on to church like clinging to a string of worry beads. In truth, people are more receptive to Christianity than most believers would ever imagine. Every person has spiritual imprint given by the Creator. To help Christians move to the winning side, we ask them to try the waiter-waitress strategy. This is how it works. When you go into a restaurant, politely ask your server's name if they aren't already wearing a name tag. So then, when they bring the meal, simply say, Bob, uh, we're going to pray for this food. Is there anything we can pray for you? Anything at all? On a rare occasion, a waiter or waitress might respond by saying, Oh, I'm an atheist. Or, well, I don't pray. Then you just simply say, That's all right. Anything we can pray for you anyway? Guess what we've discovered? And this is based on thousands of waiters and waitresses. Over 95% of the time, the person waiting on you will give you something to pray for them. My point? You'll discover that people are more spiritually open than you ever imagined. Now, if you're tempted to think, oh, I could never ask someone if we can pray for them in public, then it's likely you're not playing to win, not playing to win the world, but playing the faith not to lose. Why? Because you're afraid you're going to get rejected. You're afraid you'll lose. You know what? Sometimes you will get a no, but most of the time, you'll hear some amazing stories of the needs that people have that are right there forefront in their minds. Sometimes you just have to change your game. You change your approach. Will it change the waiter? The waitress? Maybe, maybe not. However, it will change you forever because you will experience the permission to play Christianity to win. Of course, I know, faith is not a game. We're not, of course, looking here at something as insignificant as a Super Bowl. Next to that, we're talking about life and death. We're talking about eternity at stake. And this is what being a Christian, a Christian church, is all about. Winning the world for Jesus Christ. You and I live in a somewhat dark world. Watch a newscast if you're not sure. However, as Christian, you are a person in a dark room who knows where the light switch is located. So quit playing church like you're playing not to lose. Risks are not to be evaluated in terms of probability of success. Risks should be evaluated in terms of the value of the goal. The stakes are high when eternity is at stake. Why would you be so timid? Why would you be so shy? Why would you be so risk-adverse? Is that what you see in the New Testament followers of Jesus? I don't think so. David Womack, in his book, The Pyramid Principle of Church Growth, uh, wrote this. 
A certain nostalgic appreciation for the past is necessary for an accurate interpretation to the present. But we must not allow traditions to continue if they do not apply to the present. History is a nice place to visit, but we should not live there. Womack continues, our one ironic lesson of the past is that although the church ought to be moving, creative practice, it has become the most conservative, unyielding, traditional enterprise in our society. Instead of daring imagination and responsible leadership, the church only offers cautious pessimism. It has a reputation of pointing out old paths in new forests when the real need of our world is the courageous trailblazers who will lead the way safely through the unfamiliar foliage of the present. Well, thank you, David Womack. Wow. John fifteen sixteen says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit can last. As a result, whatever you ask in my name, he will give it to you. That passage in John is from Jesus. That's Jesus speaking to his followers. The Apostle Paul wrote, When I am with people whose faith is weak, I live as they do to win them. I do everything I can to win everyone I possibly can. Who could ever imagine that Jesus, focusing most of his attention on a few disciples, would launch the greatest movement in history? Jesus played to win. He chose, and he still chooses, people imprinted with faith who can change the world. Who would ever believe it would last for centuries, change civilizations, and turn around lives by the billions? If you're on this team, there's little doubt. This is a winning team. And it's not just for us. This is for the world, for the future. This is for eternity. So, the question is, can you change your church? So, let's go back to Colts Camp. We were in the hotel. So there we were in this hotel room playing cards. The card game we were playing is called golf. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it, it's uh, something that uh, we play sometimes when we go to Colts Camp. But I hadn't played it since we were there last year. So the guys refreshed my memory on how to play, and then we started. And it's called golf because there are nine hands. There are nine holes in golf, so there are nine hands in this card game. It's a pretty simple card game, really. But for me, this experience was terribly embarrassing. I lost every hand, every round. It was some time, right about then, that Jason while we were shuffling the cards for the next hand, read this information about the Colts. I even remember how I had remarked almost a year before, oh yeah, the Colts are playing not to win, they're playing not to lose. So it was just then, Denny said, hey, you want to play another round? Jason and David both said, sure, almost in concert. But I was feeling humiliated. I had been losing all night. 
Then, in my mind, I connected my card game to the Colts' awful season last year because I had been playing cards not to lose. And I was the loser. I realized what I was doing, and so I made a personal and private decision. I decided I'm going to be super aggressive, the opposite of the way I was playing before and losing. All right, I said, sure, let's let's play another round. I just wanted to be a good sport. Well, inside I said, I'm now going to completely change my strategy. I'm going to play to win big time. But I didn't say anything to the guys. My competitive juices kicked in. I never told them about anything. Not my revolution in changing strategy. You see, it takes a revelation to start a revolution. Guess what? I won all nine hands, and I won that game big time. Why? I changed my strategy. I played to win. I risked every card, every hand. They never knew what hit them. And surprisingly, they, don't, they never seemed to catch on that I changed my entire strategy. Why? <laughs> they were too focused on their own hands. So what do you think Jesus would want your church to do? What would he want you to do with a waiter, a waitress? What would he want for you to be like at work among your neighbors or among your friends and relatives who don't yet know Jesus? Would he like you to play it close to the vest? Or would he like you to step out and risk, which, by the way, takes faith? <laughs> yeah, Jesus is a winner. He discipled, he trained winners. He gathered them together in a huddle uh, called church. Jesus follows that pattern of being a winner. And his followers are a bunch of winners. We're not talking about a silly card game. This is life or death forever. How does that change you? How will that change your church? The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25, You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. But you... You're after one that's gold eternally. Thank you for listening to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report. If you would like to receive the written version in your email, please sign up by going to www.churchdoctor.org. If you've enjoyed this teaching, please share it with others and encourage them to subscribe. Thank you, and God bless.